Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder will join me in a little bit for his weekly visit talking high school football. And we preview the return of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to New England on Sunday night with Brady Farkas, sports talk host at WDVE in Burlington, Vermont, and a 2008 graduate of Shenandoah High School. First up, it's time for the Union College women's hockey team to drop the puck on the 2021-22 season. The Dutch women opened their season Friday night at RIT, their first game since the end of the 2019-20 season. The Dutch women were among eight ECAC hockey teams that sat out last season because of the coronavirus pandemic. First up is head coach Josh Skiba. He begins his sixth season with Union. The program has made some progress under Skiba. They finished ninth in 2019-20, their highest finish ever since joining the Division I ranks in 2003-2004. One thing Union has yet to do, though, is make the postseason. Uh, Josh, we talked about this uh, at the conference call last week about finally getting back to action. And uh, what has the past year been like for you? I mean, was it that difficult? Was it it a difficult year not being able to coach and uh, talk to your players? Yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest difficulty. It was just not being able to be around our players as much as we wanted to be, right? Or have the players around each other as much as they could be. And I think that's what you really missed. You missed that connection piece. You missed them being able to, you know, eat meals together a lot of times or just being in the locker room together at the same time. I think those are little things that you take for granted. And when it's taken away from you, it's tough. But um, we were very fortunate and very grateful to be able to practice, to do some skills. And I think a lot of our kids got a lot better. And I think they're just hungry to play games now. Yeah, Friday night's going to be the first one at RIT. What do you think the feeling is going to be like when the uh, uh, players get on the ice? Well, I know I've joked before that I feel like we're going to we're, we're doing something in the first five minutes. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're probably going to take a penalty. We're going to do something because their energy is going to be off the charts. But um, I think they're they're amped up. They're ready to play. I think they they're hungry to play. They're hungry to compete. You know, if you look at our preseason, we've been more competitive so far through the first couple weeks. Um, I think our roster is is the deepest it's ever been right now. And again, with that hunger and that passion that they have to play, I'm excited to see how we perform. Yeah, you have obviously uh, two classes coming in. Uh, how important is that to integrate those along all of the returnees? Well, I think when you look at our leadership too, our upperclassmen, I think have done a great job, and I think they're in a good spot to be able to lead those young kids. And when you have 15 kids who have never played a Division One game, you really lean on that leadership quite a bit. So um, it's been good to integrate them. I think having last year for our sophomores now to have time to do skills, uh, to be around those upperclassmen and learn at least what it's about here at school uh, was good. And now implementing the freshmen has become a lot easier. So um, our leadership's in a good spot. I think our team's in a good spot. They're well-connected right now, and I think we're, we're excited to start. Ever since this program went Division One, it has never made the playoffs. It really has never come close until um, you know the, the last season you guys played, 2019-20, where you finished ninth, which is, was the highest this program has ever finished. You guys are picked to finish 10th this year. What is it going to take to get over that hump and 
get into the playoffs for the first time in program history? Yeah, I think I think for us it's just teaching our group how to win. You know, I think when we get to Friday and Saturday, that just becomes obviously the the culmination of everything that we continue to do week to week and day to day. But I'm um, trying to teach our game, our group how to win in different situations and you know how to make plays in certain areas that that can create winning situations. How to give them the mindset that they can believe they they can win. They can beat top teams in our league and uh, finding ways to win some of those one goal games that we found ourselves in quite a bit in the 1920 season. So it's just teaching our group how to win is is a lot more of what we need and that mindset. But that mindset I think is going to be the big thing that gets us over that hump. Yeah, I was looking at the um, and the way that after you guys won and beat RPI in the Mayor's Cup, you lost your last seven games of the season, which cost you a chance maybe in making the playoffs. Uh, obviously now we're, it's almost a year and a half since you guys last played. Is that what do you what do you tell it? Did you talk about that with the team at all? And if 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 so, what did you say? You know, I think we we, we haven't talked about. It. I think they're just the the big thing that we're trying to focus on is just trying to move forward with what we have right now, the group that we have. We look at it as a positive that we have so many new faces. Um, you know, we're trying to use it the fact that we haven't played in over twenty months as a positive for our group to be that hungry and that passionate, ready to go for those games. So, um, I think in a lot of ways we're a different team. You know, and we have some people in here. We have our, a roster now that we've recruited. Um, it's all of our players here and and really a group that just wants to play games, right? So we're going to learn a ton from this weekend. Um, I think the group is, is just really ready to compete, and I think that's all we've tried to focus on. I mean, goaltending-wise, I think you mentioned that you have three new goaltenders. I mean, how much of a factor is that going to be having uh, that that kind of a young goaltending again we, we try and look at it as a positive too right just kids that are, that are trying to prove themselves and um, quite honestly the net's wide open right now we've we've asked them said hey you know if you want to earn minutes it's it's totally up to your performance right now day in and day out and uh you know the the net is yours so uh, we're just looking for who's going to give us the best chance to win yeah. you know of the returnees who's uh really standing out um, honestly, like we've we've it's been kind of early to stand out right now, but um, I think just just in terms of our leaders, I think our upperclassmen, you know, some of our, our cast, like our captain Grace, um, our seniors Katie, Maya, have done a great job just being seniors and just really leading our group. Um, you look at some of the juniors in terms of how they've grown over the summer. I think they've made some big strides forward, um, and then the sophomores too, who didn't even play last year but have come back in great shape. Um, and really, you know, helped us be, become a better unit so far. So the freshmen are in good hands for sure. Prediction: Does this team make the playoffs? I say yes, yes. I think I think I think we're a playoff team, and I think the reason is is because again, we're teaching our group how to win. I think they they understand what they need to do to get there. Um, but I think they're going to be more competitive than they ever have been in the past too, right? So, um, you know, it might take us a little bit to to get going here, but we're we're pretty confident in this group that we can be a playoff team. Up next is senior forward Katie Sontag. She had three goals and two assists in 35 games in 2019-20. How excited are you to get back on the ice? I mean, you lost a year last year because of the COVID. I mean, what was it like last year and how much do you appreciate being able to play? Um, Yeah, I would say all of us are super excited to get on the ice. I think last year really... I think reminded us maybe how much we take for granted, you know, being able to play and having that taken away really kind of put into perspective a lot of things. And finally getting to go back on the ice this year is just like it's the first game week and I don't know how long I just woke up so excited, you know, like I get to play on Friday again. So, yeah, I think we're really hyped. What what was it like last year? Um, it was definitely different. Um, you know, obviously we had all these COVID restrictions and for a while we couldn't even do you know, like a full team practice, we couldn't even scrimmage and like play contact. So 
it definitely was, I think, difficult, but um, we got through it together as a team. And I think in a weird way, it almost has prepared us better for this season. Like we went through a lot of challenges together. So I think we're going to, yeah, I think it's good for us. This is a program that ever since it went to Division One has yet to make the playoffs. It's been a perennial last place team. When you guys last played, though, you finished ninth, which was the team's best finish ever. But at the same time, you guys had a seven-game losing streak to close out that season. What is it going to take to finally get over that hump and get into the top eight and make the playoffs for the first time? Uh, I think, uh, like you said, like having a year off has really motivated a lot of us. And for you know me being a senior my last year, making playoffs has been a huge goal for us. And... I think all of us just, it made us want it that much more, you know, losing that one year. And I think, you know, we've got two new awesome coaches who we all really like and respect. And I think the underclassmen are all itching to get out there as well. You know, some of them have never played a collegiate game before. So I think we have what it takes. You know, I really believe in this team. I really believe in our heart. And, yeah, I think we can get it this year. What will it take to do that? Uh, I think it's just going to take, you know, playing every game to, you know, taking every game seriously no matter who the opponent is. And also, you know, not worrying, you know, whether it's Cornell or Brown or whoever, like, just take every game seriously. And because we tied, you know, Cornell my sophomore year, which just shows that we do have what it takes to play with, you know, these top teams. We just need to believe in ourselves, go out there and do it. Finally, it's senior forward Grace Heiting. She led the team in scoring in 2019-20 with six goals and eight assists. Uh, obviously, there had to be a frustrating year last year not being able to play you're looking at now Friday to finally play your first game since uh, February 2020. What was the feeling going to be like uh, when you hit the ice Friday at RIT? Um, a lot of excitement, obviously. I know um, our senior class in particular has been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, a lot of emotions and, like I said, just pure excitement. I think just getting out there and doing our thing and not letting that be too much, but it's going to be exciting for all of us. How difficult was it to deal with last year? You mean eight of the league's teams did not play last year four teams did uh was there a sense of you know why 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 couldn't we play i mean i think in the beginning it's it's obviously a shock for everybody and a little bit hard um i know the school was looking at every possibility they had to try to make this happen for us and obviously the safety of everybody came first which we ended up understanding um a lot of hunger waiting for this season though for sure so um, I think we understood, but we're just ready to get back in there and get back to a good spot in the league with all the teams back and ready to go. This program, since it has been in Division One, has never made the playoffs. Uh, frankly, it hasn't really come close most of the times. Uh, last time you guys you know, play, played in 2019-20, you guys finished ninth, which was the best finish ever. Yet the season closed with a seven-game losing streak, which cost you guys a shot at the playoffs. What is it going to take to finally get over that hump and make the playoffs? I think just really buying in. We have two new assistant coaches. We have 15 players who have never played a college game, which I think a lot of people could look at that as a detriment for our program. But I really think we have a lot of new opportunities and just new blood that are going to get a lot done this year. So it makes me excited because I don't think we know exactly what to expect and I don't think fans know what to expect. So we're just going to give it our all, and I'm really excited for what's going to happen. Can this team make the playoffs? Yes, <laughs> I, I do believe that a lot. I think we have a lot of faith in our locker room, and I think our culture is in the right spot, and our, our minds are there. And I think now it's just performing and actually doing it, but I think this is the year. Gazette sports writer Adam Schindler joins me next to talk high school football. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast.
Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast, and it's time to talk high school football as our usual weekly segment. And Adam Schindler of the Gazette is joining me now. And uh, Adam, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be I here. I can't again. believe uh, we're almost in October. It is crazy. The time is flying. Yes, it's unbelievable. Well, let's take a look back at a couple of games last week. Of course, the big one last week was the Class AA matchup between Shaker and Shenandoah. And we've talked about this about Shen. They've been a second half team all year. They fell behind. Again, against Shaker, they tried to come back. They got to 21-14, but ended up losing 28-14. Yeah, this Shen team uh, has played three games. They're 2-1. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first half yet this season. Uh, to beat 2-1 and one at that point, having played what is, to be honest, a very tough schedule, having already played Gildeland and having played what is an always difficult Class A team to play in Queensbury, just with the way Queensbury's double-wing offense can dominate the clock. It's impressive, but Shaker really proved itself. Uh, the sophomore quarterback, Jake Icabaccio, uh, another star turn, has really emerged as, as a top player in the section this season. And uh, Shaker, I mean, we're, four, we're three slash four weeks in, and Shaker and CBA, the two undefeated teams in Class AA right now. Yeah, we'll talk about the rankings in just a moment. I had a chance to watch the game a little bit uh, Friday night when I was putting out the uh, the papers, and I was just impressed with the way Shaker played, and you know, especially at that first half and shutting down. I know, as we said, Shen's been a second-half team, but he, he still, they shut him down. Yeah, to, to go out to shut any team down for a half, and, and you know, Greg Sheeler, the, the Shaker coach, has been doing this for a good few years now. That program has absolutely moved into that top echelon in the last seven, eight years. Yeah. And the game you covered last Friday was uh, Amsterdam and Columbia, and Amsterdam 
Starting to look good. I mean, they, they didn't win a game in the fall, too, last uh, spring, but they're off to a good start here. Yeah, this team really, I saw them their second game of the fall two season last year, which was a game played in the middle of the afternoon on Good Friday, freezing cold temperatures, and you could just see the team didn't really have a weird, there was a weird energy about it. This year's team, there's a ton of energy. They've played two games, two wins in really completely different ways. Uh, their, week, their week one game against South Glens Falls, 500 plus yards of offense, threw the ball all over the place, put up 52 points, had the week off, came back against Columbia, really struggled to, to throw the ball. Threw the, you know, three interceptions in the first half. Couldn't do very much on offense, but the defense, after allowing a short field touchdown to Columbia the first drive, just absolutely dominated that side of the game. Two safeties in a 17-6 win. I like the fact that uh, I'm a guy who was in college radio in the early 80s, and you brought up the safety dance by Men Without Hats. I have a long history with this song, and uh, if my friend Aggie Tax listening, uh, I, I finally come after 37 years to embrace the song after a while. But, uh, yeah, what was, the, uh, what was the purpose of using the safety oh, dance? Yeah. Two, two. I have covered 13 years' worth of high school football games. I've seen... In the grand total, I've probably seen less than five safeties, uh, most of which were bad snaps through the end zone on punts. This game had two safeties in two entirely different scenarios, both forced by Amsterdam's pass rush. One was a blitz forced the uh, Columbia quarterback into throwing the ball away uh, for an intentional grounding penalty in the end zone. The other was just a sack straight in the end zone. One play after he was nearly sacked in the end zone. So to see two, uh, see a team record two safeties in a single game, uh, the odds on that are pretty low. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at the week four schedule. Kind of a, it's not really too many exciting games out there. One you have highlighted, Class A is Albany at Troy. Yeah, Class A, Albany at Troy is not necessarily... We look at especially the Friday night schedule is not the the sexiest Friday night schedule in terms of of options. The Albany Troy game on Friday night is interesting just because this is Albany's first game. Uh, the Albany school district had the policy uh, that athletes high risk sports needed to have full vaccination uh, and be two weeks and be two weeks beyond their second shot uh, to be able to play. Finally, the Falcons are going to get getting out on the field. Troy has, has struggled in their first couple of games. Uh, out of the gate this season. So just interesting to see what a team that's waited so long to finally play is going to be. Why did it take so long for Albany? I believe it was just the kids didn't have their shots until a couple weeks into the school year. And, you know, it's taken two weeks to get 16 players, at least 16 players, to be eligible through that process. Yeah, a Friday Night Class D game you have highlighted with five schools listed. (laughs) Cambridge-Salem will be at Warrensburg, North Warren. Bolton. I almost want to say Michael Bolton, but I don't want to. Do yeah, that. this is an interesting game just because Warrensburg, North Warren, Bolton has absolutely destroyed the four teams that's played this year, 230 to 16. Uh, but they haven't played anybody yet. The, they've played three teams that have really struggled at the bottom of Class D and a struggling Class C team in uh, Carador and Catskill. But you can't fault them for going out and, and absolutely wrecking four opponents. Yeah. Cambridge-Salem uh, is 2-2 two and two with two tough losses. They lost to a Class B team in Ravenna uh, in Week 0, and then they got really, really taken to the woodshed by a very good Greenwich team. So this is a game that will, if Warrensburg, North Warren, Bolton 
can put out a similar result as to what Greenwich did against Cambridge Salem last week, we are really looking at a good two-team recent class team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are four games on Saturday and two highlighted. You're both in Class A. We have Able Park at Amsterdam and Burnt Hills at Queensbury in the Battle of the Spartans. Yeah, those are two of the more interesting Class A rivalries out there. Uh, Able Park Amsterdam is a series I am intimately familiar with. Uh, and has produced, it's not the most intense rivalry out there, it's not a historic rivalry, but in the last 10 years, it's probably produced crazier games than any rivalry in in Section 2. I've been there for a 58-56 game, Uh, I've been there for uh, multiple games scored in the 40s uh, last spring, in the fall too. Averill Park won a game 41-40, where the lead changed twice in the final 90 seconds, Mm -hmm. Uh, Amsterdam came down, scored a touchdown to take the lead. Averill Park takes the uh, ensuing kickoff back for a touchdown uh, to go up 41-34. Uh, Amsterdam comes back down, scores a touchdown, can't get the two-point conversion, uh, and Averill Park goes on to win 41-40. It's Amsterdam's homecoming game. It's Amsterdam's first home game of the year, and it's October Second. Wow. <laughs> I mean, why do they have the week off of the previous week? They, they open up and then they have a week off. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, five that, that is a, uh, the, a quirk of the Class A schedule this year with a, a bit of an odd number of teams. Especially, everyone had games against Class AA teams scheduled as well. Amsterdam didn't have one. Uh, and just teams were allowed to go out and find an opponent in Amsterdam decided not to. Yeah. And, of course, we mentioned the Spartan Bowl between Bird Hills and Queensbury. Yeah, this is a game that uh, for the past... 10 years has usually been uh, the game of the year uh, during the regular season in Class A. Uh, Burn Hills come out uh, since they played Shaker in their in their uh, uh, opening week. They've come out two straight wins, beat LaSalle in a real tough game last Friday night. Uh, Queensbury had a couple of losses out of the gate and then uh, really turned around against South Glens Falls uh, last week. Just interesting to see. These teams always get together. Burn Hills... Uh, rolled over Queensbury in the fall, too. But this is a game that will really see how the uh, that Class A Grasso division starts to shape up. Well, let's take a look at the uh, rankings, which appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, if you're online at dailygazette.com. Uh, Class AA Shaker leads, followed by CBA, Shenandoah, Gildeland, and a tie with Colony and Saratoga Springs. Yeah, we've pretty much got these rankings, you'd figure, stuck it to where they are until at least uh, after next week. Next week is the Shaker-CBA game, probably the game of the year mm-hmm. in Section 2 football. Uh, beyond that, you know, Shen beat Gilderland. Shen lost to Shaker. These teams have pretty much have pretty well stratified themselves out. It's going to be interesting to see where teams shift around in that five spot. Uh, Colony beat Saratoga by a point. Saratoga beat Schenectady uh, this past week. So you can see a few teams shift around in that spot. In Class A, Niskuna, I, I don't think I've ever seen Niskuna on top in Class A. They've been playing some good football. they they got Burnhills, Boston Lake, Able Park, LaSalle, and Amsterdam. Yeah, another uh, Niskuna's gone out. They, they haven't set a foot wrong in three games against Section 2 teams this year. They're out of section again uh, this week playing what would have been their bye week. They're playing, uh, I believe they're playing Binghamton. Uh, but the Silver Warriors have looked fantastic. Burn Hills, Boston Lake, again, they, they've come out the last couple of games, looked very, very good. Averill Park, in its Class A games, has looked extremely impressive. Uh, LaSalle is, you know, lost lost by a field goal to Burn Hills. It's a team that's 1-2 and two, uh, 
uh, with a good win over Boston Spa and two losses to very good teams. And then Amsterdam is 2-0, and but just not tested yet uh, in the way we'd expect them to be this week against Sable Park. Yep, and uh, Class B, it's Ravina, followed by Glens Falls, Shalmont, Mahanison, the two cars, the two Rotterdam uh, schools there, and Hudson Falls. Yeah, I want to talk about Ravina just for a second because they uh, are the owners of maybe the strangest win in Section 2 this season. Uh, last Friday at Hudson Falls went down to Ravina. Ravina went, goes up 14 to nothing. The lights go out. Oh, boy. Uh, they they suspend the game, and Hudson Falls opting, uh, I believe, just not wanting to send the kids back on the very long bus ride again uh, the next day. Didn't come back out for the game. Ravina wins by forfeit. Ravina kind of very quietly is out to a 4-0 start. Uh, Glens Falls has looked great against Class B competition. The problem for Glens Falls is a week ago, they played Hoosick Falls Tamarack, a Class C team, mm-hmm. lost 39-13. Yeah. Well, speaking of Class C, it's Schuylerville, Hoosick Falls Tamarack, Fonda Fultonville, Hudson, and uh, Cobleskill Richmondville. Yeah, if you look at Schuylerville's schedule, they have wins over the next three teams behind them. Uh, Fonda Fultonville and Hoosick Falls Tamarack were both relatively close games, so it'll be interesting to see if we get a... Uh, a Fonda Fultonville who's at Falls game later this year. Hudson uh, lost 45 nothing to Schuylerville in week one and has come back and destroyed three straight teams, but it's going to be tough for them to get some opportunities. Of course, Fonda had to you know, play two games with a yeah, five-game diff- span. Difficult situation for Fonda. They came back on one day of practice uh, to beat Corinth at Luzerne. They only had three days to get ready for a really, really good Schuylerville team. You lost 14-7, to didn't really get a lot going offensively until late in that game. And finally, Class D, it's Greenwich, Warrensburg, North Warren, Bolton, Stillwater, Cambridge, uh, Salem, and Lake George. And this is, you know, two undefeated teams at the top. Stillwater looked to be just right behind uh, Greenwich when they played a couple of weeks ago. Be interesting to see. I think we're a couple of weeks away from the Greenwich-Warrensburg game, and those two teams, uh, it's a really, really, probably very likely a championship game preview when they get together. Well, let's do this again next week. It'll be uh, October when we talk again. Finally. (laughs) Yes, that's Adam Schindler of the Gazette. Coming up, we'll talk about the return of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to New England as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers face the Patriots on Sunday Night Football. Brady Farkas of WDEV in Burlington, Vermont, and also a Shenandoah High School graduate. Join me next here on the Party Shots Podcast. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Sunday night football game this week will be nostalgia time for New England Patriots fans as Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski return to the site of some of their most memorable moments 
as they lead the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers into Foxborough, Massachusetts. To talk about the game is the host of the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, which serves Vermont, Northern New York, and New Hampshire. And more importantly, he is a 2008 graduate of Shenandoah High School. Here is Brady Farkas. Brady, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ken, thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on a few minutes. How's life in Burlington? Life is good, man. It's getting, it's far too cold for this time of year. Like, I embrace the cold. I like the seasons. But, uh, you know, it's still the end of September. There should be a couple more golf days left. And right now, you know, it's 50 and windy. Yeah, I was, I was just, uh, as we taped this on Wednesday, I was at Union College Hockey Media Day, and it was cold in the rink. I was thankful I brought my jacket. First time I've worn a jacket. First time I've actually worn uh, uh, jeans all season. I've been wearing shorts for the last two and a half months, and uh, it's <laughs> just I'm not ready for fall just yet. But uh, it's uh, great to have you on and talk to a little football here. And uh, what is it going to be like Sunday night, Brady? I mean, I, the Patriot fans get a chance to salute Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, but they, they, this, their Patriots have some, some issues of their own right now. Yeah, it's going to be mixed emotions. Um, I do think that that Gronk and Brady are going to get a hero's welcome. I think that pregame stuff is going to be awesome. I think the you know there's been no knowledge as to what the Pats are actually going to do from team standpoint, but I would expect there to be a video tribute. I would expect there to be a lengthy standing ovation. Then I think we'll play football, and I think most Patriots fans are rooting for Brady to play great but the Patriots to win. So I don't think anybody is actively out there this Sunday rooting against Brady or rooting for Brady to get hurt or for Brady to get picked four times or for Brady to fail. So I think if you ask most Patriot fans what they want, they want a 42-35 to barn burner that the Pats win. But I do think that Brady will give plenty of uh, adulation throughout the night. But can the Patriots score 42 points as Mac Jones has been sort of inconsistent so far? No, I mean, I don't think that it's possible, but I'm telling you what I think that most Patriots <laughs> fans would want. Um, you know, I think that Mac Jones has, was – he was getting a lot of credit for weeks one and two. Now, week three, the whole team fell apart, and I really think he was just a byproduct of everything that went on around him that went wrong. I really don't think week three, their loss, was his fault. You, there are things in Mac Jones that you see – and that you like. He's got some winning traits. He's smart. He he cares. He works really hard. Um, he doesn't easily get rattled. He steps up in the pocket. He takes hits. Mac Jones does a lot of things. Now, I'm a big-time Cam Newton defender. I wanted Cam to be the quarterback of this team. But I and I and my questions about Mac Jones are far more long-term than they are in the immediacy of 2021 for a quarterback who just made his third start i think there's been a lot to like i don't think the i mean the offensive line has been poor the wide receiver group and the tight end group hasn't been able to get open or last week make routine simple catches or even do anything extra to help the young kid out so um he hasn't gotten a lot of help they haven't been able to stop the run so what's happened so far i don't think has been as much about mac jones as it has been about everything else. Well, let's talk about Cam Newton for a second here before we get back to, to Brady and Gronk and uh, Mac. Did, 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 did Cam basically shoot himself in the foot by with the COVID situation? I mean, I think, it, I, I think the reason Cam is not here is because Cam is not vaccinated. And, and that's not to say that he's blackballed simply for his choice. 
but I think that one of two things are in play. I think that Cam Newton not being vaccinated contributed to him being gone for five days. And in that five days, the team said, you know what? This kid's pretty good. We can just go in that direction. So indirectly, I think it could have played into the decision. More eyes on Mac Jones, more time for Mac Jones, therefore more chance for Mac Jones to take the job away. I also think there's a possibility that the Patriots looked at it and said, is this what we're going to have to deal with every week where we're just not sure if our starting quarterback is going to be available? And you deal with injuries, you deal with absences all the time in the NFL, but I don't know that the Patriots, who are so game plan oriented, really want to go into a game and and realize on Friday, oh, Cam can't play, and it's just not worth it. I've said ever since I got into this business that how good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be. And certain guys have longer leashes than others. Carson Wentz is not vaccinated. I'm sure the Colts do not like the situation with him, but his money dictates that they're not getting rid of him so he can he's afforded the opportunity to you know to have that issue weigh on him. Kirk Cousins is not vaccinated. He is afforded the opportunity by his money and by how he's played by and large. He's afforded the opportunity to, you know, have a longer leash. Lamar Jackson is not vaccinated. He is better than Cam. He's afforded that opportunity. Cam Cam is no longer good enough to justify being a distraction. And when you're always wondering on Friday or Saturday or Sunday morning if my starting quarterback's going to be available, I think that could have contributed to it also. Of course, Cam also missed some time last year because of COVID. So, I mean, that had a way in the decision as well. I mean, they don't mean I missed a few games last year. Yeah, you know, he only missed one game. I don't know that last year really played any part of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, look, there were no vaccines last year. Every single player on your roster was under these same risks. It just so happened that it was Cam. I mean, and Cam was a great Patriot last year. No, it wasn't great on the field, but um, he did the impossible. The job that nobody wants to do of replacing the legend, Cam came in and did it, and he did it with a style and a flair that made the team interesting in a year where 2020, where we were all forced to sit inside and everything was the same. Cam Newton brought an element of different to the new England Patriots and the Patriots had been largely the same forever. So I'm grateful to that as a, as a broadcaster and I'm grateful to it as a Patriots fan, Cam Newton. I used to think being interesting didn't matter. And it was only about being good. Cam Newton showed me that being interesting can be important also. So I appreciated Cam's tenure. They should invite him back to Patriots alumni functions in the future. I don't think him missing a game last year had anything to do with it. I think the fact that Mac Jones and him were not that far apart, coupled with the vaccination and availability question, I think that's why he's not here. It had nothing to do with last year. What do you like about Mac Jones so far? I like his poise. You know, I really like his poise. He's been hit a lot. The offensive line was supposed to be a strength of this team. and Maybe it still can be, but it isn't right now. Um, He's been hit a lot. He's been under duress a lot. And he has stood in there, and he's taken the hits, and he's delivered the ball on time, largely to where it's supposed to go. You know, a lot of people don't – or a lot of people want to see Mac take shots down the field, and I would like that also, but – he hasn't really been given the time to, t- to take shots down the field. So um, the poise is one. The smarts is the other. The accuracy is a third team. He's very, very on target. 
with his throws. Um, you know, the, the problems on this team right now are less about Mac Jones and more about everything else. Yeah. The relationship between Brady and uh, Bill Belichick, did it go sour toward the end uh, of Brady's time there? And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's obviously the million-dollar question, and you're hearing all kinds of stories. Everybody's talking, and Seth Wickersham from ESPN has this book that's coming out that's now getting a lot of traction. I will say this. What is coming out now, some of this stuff doesn't surprise me. But as far as when we were in it, you never would have known that anything was wrong. Now, I'm not in Foxborough proper, and I'm not in the facility. So maybe if you were in the facility and had different sources, maybe you could 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 tell. But as far as being on the outside and just in the region, you never got the impression that they loved each other. But I don't know that Brady wanted that. Brady was very, very into being one of the guys. And he was very, very into not being above everybody. And so I, I, I don't think he wanted the perception that he was in Belichick's office having coffee every day one-on-one. I don't think that he wanted that. I don't think that's how he was. I think Brady wanted to at least paint a picture that he was just a normal guy who was Joe quarterback who related to everybody else on the roster, whether that was true or not. I think that's what he wanted out there. So it doesn't surprise me maybe after the fact, but while we were in it, we certainly didn't know that there was something afoot and that there apparently had been for a couple of years. Are you surprised at all that Brady you know, led Tampa to the, the Super Bowl title last year? And what, what did it say about you know, the Patriots and Belichick letting him go? Um, see, I don't think – I'll answer the first one first. Um, I'm not surprised that the Bucks were good last year. We anticipated the Bucks to be good. They had a good offense already, and they threw for 5,000 yards with Jameis Winston. If they simply could have erased Jameis Winston's turnovers, then the Bucks probably would have been good with Jameis Winston. So um, it didn't surprise me that the Bucks were good. It doesn't surprise me that Brady was able to recruit some of his other guys down there, like Gronk and, and, uh, and Antonio Brown, and he gets LaShawn McCoy to go there and Leonard Fournette. Like, guys gravitate to Brady because of the opportunity to win. And we kind of knew the NFC South was going to be down. Panthers weren't very good. Falcons weren't very good. So the division was winnable. The the, the weather was going to be better. So none of it surprises me that he went there and was good. Um, And I don't think Brady would have looked that good with the Patriots. um, Because at the end of 2019, I mean, the Patriots started out 2019, I want to say it, 9-0. And then finished four and five and got beaten the first round of the playoffs. They were largely devoid of talent. When they started playing good teams, they couldn't compete, especially offensively. Brady didn't look particularly good. They get beat on their home field in the playoffs by Ryan Tannehill. And then they were going into a situation in 2020 where they were in salary cap hell. And the talent around Cam Newton last year was not very good. That same talent or lesser talent would have been around Tom Brady. So I think 2020, you know, we didn't see a very good Brady at the end of 2019. I don't think there would have been the resources to have a very good Brady in 2020. So now you're waiting until now, 2021, and you have a 44-year-old Tom Brady, and you're just hoping that he's still got something left. From a football standpoint, I could totally justify 
moving on from Tom Brady. Um, and it didn't really bother me from a football standpoint. What would bother me is if Belichick got rid of him solely because he was tired of him or he was tired of his ego or his entourage or some of these other things. That would bother me. But if it was solely football-wise, I think you could justify it. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's 39 and looks horrific right now. How do you know if you're the Patriots and you're waiting through 2020 that at 44, Brady doesn't look exactly like that? Yeah, that's that's exactly. I mean, um, what would it say to you if Brady, Gronk, and the Buccaneers blow out the Patriots Sunday night? I think it would be embarrassing for the for the Patriots organization. Um, I think from a pure football standpoint, if I told you that, you know, a top five team was going to go and beat a, you know, I guess I would probably put the Patriots, we're doing power rankings here, somewhere between 20 and 32. So I told you that a top five team was going to beat a bottom 10 team by 17 points, you probably wouldn't bat an eye at it. So if the, if the Bucks win this game, 34 to 17 i don't think that that's wholly surprising but getting blown out would be embarrassing for the organization because it will reflect badly on robert Kraft. it will reflect badly on bill belichick because there's no real room for nuance in this conversation the the talk we just had about you know how brady would have looked in 2020 and would he eventually look like roethlisberger people don't want to hear that they see what Brady is now, and they assume that he would have stayed like that in this situation. I happen to think that that would have been unlikely, but that's how people will view it. If he comes here and wins 40-10, to 10, that will be a major stain on the organization. Brady, so where can people find you on Twitter and social media? Yeah, at WDEV Radio Brady. They can subscribe to the show podcast. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts and on uh, Spotify. And uh, what are the hours of your show? So the hours are 5.30 to 7 live on WDEV Radio. And you can stream it at WDEVradio.com. And we put the, uh, the full show podcast up every day. And we take out the commercials so you can zip through it even quicker. That's great. Well, Brady, appreciate a few minutes talking this uh, Sunday night game. And hopefully, and by the way, I heard you on Freddie Coleman a couple weeks ago. Freddie's a great guy. And uh, it had to be a thrill to be on his show. Yeah, a little, a little national pub. I was on at 12.30 at night, so Freddie must not have been able to get a guest that was willing to stay up that late, so he settled on me. So uh, it was an honor. I love Freddie's show, I, and uh, you know, I've been listening to Freddie for a long time. I know. He's a frequent guest of yours. He's a frequent guest of mine. He owned a podcast. Great guy, great human being, and I uh, always enjoy listening to him and uh, enjoy listening to you. That uh, I actually was driving home uh, from work, and I caught, caught you guys, so it was good to hear. Well, thanks so much, Ken. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Brady. That's Brady Farkas. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's You Pick Em and Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. 
For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. What's going on, everybody? My name is Freddie Coleman, host of ESPN Radio's Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 3 winner in the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is Diane Green of Schenectady. Diane wins a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Diane. The VIP winner is Nick Playtell of Grand Premier Tire. The Week 29 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is Jeffrey McPhail of Schenectady. Jeffrey wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Jeffrey. The VIP winners were Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment and somehow me. I even forgot to change my uh, listings when I, uh, but somehow I uh, managed to win. So uh, good luck to me, I guess. Anyway, I'll be announcing the weekly winners of each contest. The You Pick'em winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, while the Auto Racing Contest winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in either contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. The NFL season is underway. And that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I went 9-7 and seven last week. I'm 27-21 and 21 for the year. I'm looking better than my Philadelphia Eagles. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic we appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Josh Skiba, Katie Sontag, Grace Heiting, Adam Schinder, and Brady Farkas for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. <laughs>